My heart skips skipping the beat. You're not close enough, so that space between you and me, let's lose it. The way you're dancing, swaying to the music, girl, that body and how you move it. Every time you cross my mind, girl, I lose it. Alexa, play the Country Heat playlist. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk Radio. Because we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Balred Radio. My name is Matt Weston, and tonight I'm joined by the biggest, fattest, and drunkest one of them all, BFT. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> this is good. I just saw a tweet that made me laugh, so I'm laughing. Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, did you know what isn't good sometimes? <laughs> oh, I can I I I I cannot imagine. The the game of football, it can be very bad and this Sunday's game was I think the worst game I've ever seen. Uh there I didn't really find anything enjoyable about it. Uh, <laughs> really like fun happened. Uh I just it, and this was before the the hit happened, and even like after that, like I couldn't really even watch anymore. Not only it part of it was a hit, but part of it also just the game was just so drab and awful, and I could just feel my life ticking away watching it. And there's only one thing that really matters about this game because the Texans are done, the 49ers are done, and that Tom Savage hit. And I mean, if you if you watch the game or if you want me to talk you through it again, he was standing in his own end zone. He's in the shotgun. Uh, he tried to throw a pass for a free rusher, and he got hit, you know, in the upper chest, like slightly below the chin. And whenever the, defen- the defender came through him, you know, his entire chest is open. There's not much he can do to kind of like protect himself from that hit. He got driven to the ground, his back hit first, and the back of his head slammed in the turf. And it was similar to the type of hit he received in that Tennessee game where he probably had a concussion, but he ended up playing that entire game uh, regardless of that one. And Whenever he tried to get up, he like slightly turned up on his left side, and he like looked up at the ref, and like his fingers like curled up. He became like really rigid. He was just like shaking, and it was just completely horrendous. And uh, eventually, like I guess his, his, I don't know, his body worked again, his brain worked again, and he was able to walk up to the sideline. The Niners had quick to him back out there with blood all in his mouth, and he was covered up. The Texans probably have a, third, a three and out. They punted the ball back again, and he was going to go out there. And that uh, huge uh, African American offensive coach that the Texans have, he held him back. Bill Bryant, you know, motioned him off. And then finally, after all of that, he went off into the training room and wasn't playing at all anymore. And, you know, in addition to that, too, before his series where he came back after the hit, he went to stupid blue tent, they gave him a concussion valuation. He passed it somehow. I don't know how in the world he could have passed it unless he had the test memorized. 
I was fed answers or something. And uh, and it, the whole thing was just completely horrendous and disgusting and you know awful. And so, BFD, was that the worst reaction to it that you've seen? That's up there. Uh, I, I think, you know, just generally reaction-wise, I think Rain Shades Years was better. I'm old enough to remember Darrell Stingley when he got hit by a Jack Tatum. Uh, I was actually watching the game live at the time when that happened. And of course, that eventually Stingley was paralyzed and eventually, you know, died from his injuries. Um, but it's it's up there. And there's actually, and I should have looked it up, but there's actually a, a physical, known physical response to that. And so it's just where the pain overwhelms the body so much, it kind of short circuits the brains out. And so the fingers curling up, up like that is, is a reaction to that, to that intense pain. Uh, one, one thing that uh, what I kind of equated it to, and this is going to be kind of gross and I apologize, but when you see the burden victims from Mount Vesuvius, a lot of them look like they were, they were masturbating or they were having sex or they were doing like weird things because the heat from the lava actually changes their body. It, it crinkles their body up. And that's this, sort of this, it's, it's a, an equivalent reaction. That's what happened with Tom Savage is that his, his, his brain just shorted out. What you saw is you sh- literally short, excuse me, you literally saw, a human being's brain unable to function on the field is what happened. And that's scary. That's, so that, that's one's way up there. That's just absolutely incredibly terrifying to see. Um, my, my reaction to it, even when it is, there, there's a lot of, obviously a lot of second guessing about how I was able to go back out on the field. The fact is, is that he probably was able to get his stuff together, his head together when he went into the tent in order to answer the questions. There is a, there can be a delay as I know better than anybody else in the world. There can be a delay in when concussion, um, uh, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? This is when concussion symptoms arise. There can be, uh, when I was hit, that was, uh, four years ago now, when I was hit, mine didn't kick in until the next morning. I was hit at night. I was hit at about 9.30. It wasn't until the next night or the next morning at about 7.30 in the morning that I actually started feeling physically ill and we're, when my wife rushed into the emergency room. So there can be a delay. It all de- The brain is, is a weird animal. So hmm. uh, I, I just, I'm kind of rambling here because it's, this really, obviously this really hits home for me with my, you know, half dozen concussions minimal that the dude was shorting out on the field, and we all saw it. Um, no, he should have never been put in, but I, I bet you he passed the concussion protocol test just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense what you're saying as well, too. Um, you know, I mean, I guess, like, the way the concussion protocol works is that there's some guy up in the booth, and we see somebody who may potentially have a head injury, He's supposed to get pull off the side and evaluate on how well he does. He, may, he either goes to the training room or he stays on the field. Um, if what you're saying is the way it works where you know, your brain has a later reaction to you know, a hit like that, uh, it's kind of unbelievable that, that some of the protocol works where you have people who are neurologists who you know, specialize in head injuries and uh, the brain and those sorts of things, and they don't have that kind of worked into uh, the way it works so they don't test somebody, you know, multiple times throughout the game or even have like some sort of video evidence to say, Hey, like, you know, we can't let you go in here anymore after that, just after that, something like that just happened. And 
I mean, I think it's just a complete and utter failure in you know their protocol and the way their system works. I know people are doing it all this year, even going back to last year, that their concussion protocol is a joke. It doesn't matter and it doesn't you know mean anything. But like I've just seen something like this happen and you know, trauma that Savage went through and his ability to come in that quickly before like anything was even questioned at all is simply unbelievable. And it was grotesque and disgusting. And, you know, hopefully this leads to you know some sort of changes because I think the biggest thing with head injuries is like you don't see the ramifications of it directly. You see the guy kind of like slow to get up, or you know he's kind of fuzzy, or he has you know, trouble moving immediately. But then he seems okay afterwards, and you know physically he's still there, but mentally he may not. But you can't see that, and then like see actually firsthand physically, you know directly like this the impact that getting him the head like that can have. I, I really hope that, you know, it kind of changes protocol and it's kind of a more serious endeavor and they do a better job of diagnosing these things. Even just like literally, like you see something like that and there's just that guy in the booth just say, hey, pull him some locker and he can't be out there anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's, it's just all very tricky. I mean, I think the, the answer ultimately is, is is you need to play it safe. Um, and, and I bet you, what was weird was when the coach actually grabbed Tom Savage. Uh, and I, I don't know who that is, but I wonder if he saw something on the video, if he heard something or somebody or people started talking about, hey, I just saw a replay and oh my God type stuff. Because that was kind of a random person to be pulling aside your quarterback and not letting him on the field, right? So I, it makes me wonder if that's how, what even got that process started. Somebody saw the tape because they were playing that video like um, after – that happened. I started playing the video on TV, and so it just makes me wonder if, if somebody buzzed down and said, "Hey, we got to get Savage out of the game." Somebody grab him. So mm-hmm. that whole thing was weird. But it's, you know, going back to this is probably his second concussion this year. Savages, and yeah, he has been taking, yeah, and he's taking so many hits. And, and the one thing I, you know, want to stress is it's a brain. It doesn't really heal. It kind of reconnects. It forms new connections. Forms new synapses. It has a certain level of self-healing, but that brain is just a bowl. Think of jello in a bowl with a slight padding to it that's getting jilted around all the time. And so with all the hits that Tom Savage has taken, the time, and it's the ones where he's hit the turf, right, where his head has hit the turf, is it, it, the guy should not play another snap this year. He should be just, that's it. You're going you're gonna to relax. You're going to have no loud noises, no sirens, and relax, and let's, let's get you, you know, start some brain exercises and get you healed up kind of thing. Yeah, and you know, also in the NFL in general too, from like a micro standpoint, if you can't get Tom Savage out of a game between you know two teams with six wins in Week 14 in as meaningless a game as you you have, if it takes so you know it takes this long to diagnose this to get Savage out of this game, like what are you gonna do whenever it's Week four or five or you know the games actually matters and the guys you're know, dying to stay in there uh, to you know help his team win those sorts of things. This is the easy it's like no near situation that you can have whenever it comes to concussions and taking a guy out there and you know it wasn't it didn't work uh it completely fell through and you know it's it's a complete embarrassment and it's just such a awful thing and uh i still can't get over it you know i know i i, I get it I, I i'm with you there so i mean i guess like i agree i don't, I don't think savage would play the rest of this year there's three games left in the season. They're playing Jackson with Sunday. He got sacked six or seven times last time the two teams played. 
Uh, Yannick Ngakwe is going to you know, strip sack at least two times. He played this Sunday. The week after that, they play the Steelers, a team with two really good with a really with a really good pass rush. And then week 17, they play the Indianapolis Colts, I believe. And and they you know the Colts actually have like a pretty good pass rush too. So there's no reason all for him to play this year. I think he has enough film out there that teams know he's not you know a very good quarterback. And he'll he'll probably be like a Ryan Mallett type or a TJ Yates type or we'll see his name kind of pop up here and there, you know, very randomly. But, I mean, I just don't see there being any need for him to play. And I really don't want to see him play all, play the rest of the year just because of these two concussions he had back-to-back and just how severe this one last Sunday looked. Yeah, and, you know, the, it, if you want to look at the other bottom line, he's just not behind that offensive line. You can't have a statue back there. Yeah. And T.J. Yates is in Deshaun Watson, granted, but nobody else is Tom Savage. Nobody else is completely statuesque back there. I mean, this is the whole the whole juxtaposition between or lack of juxtaposition between Tom Savage and Joe Flacco is hilarious. They're just both the same person. I mean, I've never seen them in the same room at the same time. So, you know, if he ever wants to play another snap in the NFL, he's got to hope the Baltimore Ravens sign him. Yeah, and luckily that Ryan Mallett's there. And those are the things I wrote about, too, before the season started, was that, you know, yeah, if you want Savage as your quarterback, and you want to give Washington time to, you know, learn because that's your principle, that's your philosophy, fine. But you have to have the offensive line for him. You have to give him, you know, three seconds, four seconds every single time he steps back to pass. Or you have to run a quick passing offense, and uh, but he doesn't have the accuracy really to do that. And so it's a complete failure by, you know, the, the general manager and like, the coaching staff working together to try to figure out the best way to you know, give him a chance to have a shot. Because that was something they really gave Savage. Uh, you know, they did not give Savage the right car to run. And I don't think it really matters all that much anyways. To him, He may be, you know, the the 30th best quarterback with the barrel offense win the 36th. But it's still not that much of an increase or improvement. But regardless, they put him in an awful situation. And, you know, it's not been seen all year, the number of times he's been set at, the number of times he's taken, and, you know, things that happened this weekend as well, too. Yeah. So, are you excited for TJ Yates this week, uh, and excited to watch him probably start for the rest of the season? <laughs> and that's one more thing I want to just bring up very quickly, is is you know TJ Yates came in. So the backup after TJ Yates on Sunday was Shane Leckler, right? Probably or Braxton Miller. I mean, did we really not have the foresight to think that Tom Savage, after taking the hard hit last week or two weeks ago? wasn't going to be in danger and that we were actually going to throw out a punter or wide receiver or quarterback if something happened to TJ Yates. I, I'm really the, the lack, and, I, and Rivers brought that up originally, so credit where it's due. But that's really one of those confounding things is that you've got a guy who's having issues, who gets hit a lot, who probably just had a, a head injury, a concussion, and you only had a second quarterback on your roster for game day. So that's, again, that's just bad planning. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just never mind. I'm just you know it's it's the stupidness that that seems to be a hallmark of Bill O'Brien's reign. It's just the lack of seeing you know seeing beyond just oh god I just don't even know how to say this. Just planning, just planning, having a dadgum plan. Ah, okay. So anyway, um, um, God, what was the question? Uh. It was if I'm looking you, forward to watching TJ yeah, Yates play. Yeah, there you go. Yes, if only if only for the the you know 
TJ Yates. I mean, how many times are we going to retire this dude's uniform? <laughs> you know, it's just he's he's fun to watch. He's a scrappy guy. He's he's exactly who he is. He's not going to be anything more than that. And it, it, there's just something fun about watching Mr. 8480. And there's there's something so much fun about watching, you know, the guy who, who you know, started a playoff game for the Houston Texans. You know, he, there's at least, when you, when you see T.J. Yates on the field, it at least brings even if a temporary smile to your face. He's not, he's not a disaster at quarterback. He's, he's clearly better than Tom Savage. And it's, it was fun watching him throw pass after pass after pass to DeAndre Hopkins until they, I think they started covering him with 15 people up towards the end of the game. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun to watch. Yes, I'm excited. It's a lot better than watching Tom Savage dry hump his way on the field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, TJ Yates is just about 11 nostalgia. Uh, and I don't know, like, it's fun, whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to be excited to watch him play, but uh, I'm okay with it, I guess. I wish that that Bengals game came kind of at this part of the year rather than it did because that would have been the only way that it could have been any more beautiful to get them this time of year. And so uh, speaking of happier things, we had a question here from Pearl Onion said, how about this? In this time of Texans fan anguish, I think we could all use gearing up. It would be too much to ask for you to relate to the funniest or most heartwarming Texans fan entry. You are forgiven in advance and it seems a bit long-winded. It would be nice to hear you talk about good times. Uh, so, yeah, let's hear your, your, your like, either your happiest Texans memory. Give us some joy right now uh, to sure. keep your heart pounding PJ Yates' blood you got going through you. Sure. So, so uh, anybody who's kind of followed me knows that I first started writing on uh, Little Matt's blog, uh, MDC's blog, uh, The Good, The Bad, and D'Amico was what it was called. And so that's that's, you know, we wrote for about well matt started it and i joined about a year later and about um a year and a half after that we got a an email from D'Amico's lawyer basically saying hey you know he doesn't really want your name on your blog and and you know with the stuff we published you could blame him really so that was back when you know we cussed all the time and and made fun of matt stevens and that sort of thing so it was pretty understandable <laughs> so here's the deal <laughs> here's the deal Oh God, the Matt Stevens thing. His wife got ex-wife, ex-wife got so upset she was threatening us. It was awesome. Thank you for that, <laughs> MDC. So anyway, D'Amico's lawyer, however, does what a good lawyer does and say, "Hey, look, I can't force you to change it, but I tell you what, I will give you a couple of signed D'Amico run footballs if you do this." And we're like, "Damn, okay." And so. But what we decided to do is Matt kept one. Cool. I think he gave us three total. We we auctioned off the other two, and we raised some money for – I can't remember the name of the charity, but it was the Houston youth-based charity. And uh, it was, you know, it was like four or $500 that we raised for him. And it was just, you know, we, we took that, okay, Ryan doesn't want his name on our blog. Get it. Fine. We're not going to – you know, we're not going to mess with the lawyer. It's just not worth it, and, and he's probably right anyway. And we turned it into something good as a group, like the four of us turned it into something good. So that, that always brings a smile to my face. You know, Battle Red Blog has raised, has done charity drives and has raised thousands of dollars over the course of its career. You know, we do, I feel like we, and, and I think it's us. I think it's, it's, it's Tim and it's Matt, and I hope I have some influence on that. We've actually been able to do a lot of good over the 11 years that I've, 12 years that I've been blogging. 
We've raised money for people. We've helped people. We helped some of the Hurricane Harvey victims. We sold T-shirt fundraisers that helped Hurricane Harvey victims. We have done some stuff, some really cool stuff over the years. And so I don't know if that's really sports-related, but that's what we can do as a community is that we can do things to help each other and help those who are less fortunate than us. And that always kind of makes me feel good. And I really think that that's probably about what drives about 50% of me even staying with the blog these days is because, you know, every once in a while we get an opportunity to help somebody out. And we do. And we, we held one fundraiser in about 2010 and raised thousands of dollars for um, a kid who was born with some issues. So it, we've done good and it feels good. And so that makes me smile. And mm-hmm. that was long winded. Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know what you're saying. I mean, I guess like, you know, we all have a collective, you know, thing in common that we like this bad football team and, and you know, through that vessel, we've you know kind of traveled around through, the, through time and have done different things like that. And yeah, I, I mean, this I really, I, I mean, I guess the biggest thing since I'm not from that area, I'm from San Antonio, I kind of you know I stepped step back and just said whatever, you, whatever you know, Tim and the, all we're all for, and uh, and you know, donate some money and that sort of thing for that one person specifically, and also through some of the drives that they had available as well, but. Uh, I didn't do anything specifically with that, but the T-shirt is cool. A lot of people bought it, and I know it raised a couple of hundred bucks. And I know that story about the good, the, the good, the bad, D'Amico blog, but that was cool as well too. Um, my, my, I guess the whenever I think about it, or I guess not whenever I think about it, but whenever I was thinking about the question, as soon as I read it, uh, the first thing that popped in my mind was the first playoff game of all time against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, it was cold. It was gray. It was kind of drizzly, and it was also Christmas break, and I was still in school at the time. And so I went up to my my old lake house on my dad's side of the family. They ended up selling, uh, you know, a few years back or so, but we still had it. And I was, really was the only person ever used it all. So I'm there with a bunch of friends, and it, you know the weather is terrible, so there was really nothing for us to do at all. There was no cable in that house. Uh, you know, the plumbing barely worked, but we you just kind of hung out inside with each other and you know, play board games and whatever. You know, the things that college kids uh, do. And we, that game was that same, you know, weekend. And I'd have a TV to watch it. It was before you could stream games online on your phone like you can now. So I went, I guess, about like three minutes from the house to Mr. Guy's Pizza in Kingsland, Texas, right next to HEB. And before the game started, uh, we were out in the parking lot throwing the football around, you know, getting really excited. I was yelling a lot and, you know, throw the bar where there's cars driving around. The manager of the Mr. Gaddy's comes out and she yells at us. She said, you can't do that in this parking lot. You know, you're going to get hit by a car or whatever. I go, don't worry, ma'am. We're professionals. Okay. And then she just threw her hands up in the air and went, in, went inside. We were able to carry on what we were doing. And then so we did that for about like an hour or so. And then we went inside the Mr. Gaddy's. I, they didn't have all-you-can-eat pizza salad. So I had all-you-can-eat salad. And we watched the Texans play on one of those giant you know, monolith TVs with the, it just sits on that huge stand. And uh, we watched the Texans, you know, beat the Bengals. And, you know, I'll never forget that day and watching that team play and watching that first playoff win. After it was like, you know, the only thing I wanted to see since the team became, came into existence in, you know, 2002. So, I don't know. There, I mean, there's tons of other, like, happy things and things I've enjoyed, but that's the one that you really stuck out to me immediately uh, whenever I read the question. Cool. Cool story, bro. Yeah, so let's get back to the bad stuff because that's what we're here for. 
Uh, in addition to the Tom Savage calamity, there is another off-topic story. Uh, Bill Bryan's currently coaching a 4-8 and eight football team, and he is on the second to last year of his deal. He has a, a one-year contract. For, he has a contract that goes into next year, but you rarely see coaches coach in their contract year. They're usually extended or uh, far before then. And so there's still rumors going, going around, and uh, they kind of came up to light based on what Mike Lombardi said and Mike Meltzer retweeted that they're still arguing going on in the front office between the coaching staff and, of course, the front office. And recently, Deshaun Watson took to Twitter to say he wants Bill O'Brien uh, to be his head coach. Now, do you think there's anything to do with this bickering? And you think will, do you think Bill O'Brien's going to be the head coach of this team in 2018 and, and beyond? Um, do I think there's something to this? I, I think the answer is yes, because I think it's pretty clear that there's a lot of ego, and, and we've talked about this quite a bit, there's a lot of ego involved between Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien. Um, if I, here's what I want to know. Ultimately, here's what I want to know is who the heck has been responsible for some of these personnel decisions, whether it's who we're drafting, because this team has, as I pointed out in our hair of the dog, or I'm sorry, our incompletions post, this team has something like 13 positions that need to be addressed. 13. I mean, the majority of the starting spots on this team have a major issue with them at this point in time. And we don't know what's going to happen with J.J. Watt. We don't know how he's going to come back or Whitney Merciless or any of these guys. So it, the assumption is they're going to be fine. So it, who is responsible for the offensive line? Who is responsible for the secondary? Who is responsible for the fact that the wide receivers we seem to get that aren't DeAndre Hopkins pretty much kind of suck? So – you know, things might change with Will Fuller. I get it. But that's still, that's a first-round draft pick who hasn't done a whole lot if Sean Watson's not the quarterback. So who's responsible for these personnel decisions? Ultimately, to me, that's just one part of it. Because if it's Rick Smith forcing Bill O'Brien, this these players on him, then I think that's one thing. But we don't know the answer to that. I would give Bill, I would give Bill O'Brien a break if, oh, this is all Rick Smith's decisions? Well, shoot. Who forced Tom Savage to start the opening game of the season? And you saw Tom, uh, Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien instantly started blaming each other for it. So I think it's obvious that there's an issue between those two. And so the question is, is who's going to win that power battle? Um, not being a big fan of Bill O'Brien, but not being a big fan of Rick Smith, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, whatever. I want them both gone at this point. Uh, neither of these guys. Rick Smith's been around since 2007, and he's made the playoffs a couple of times. So he's no genius. And if you ain't making the playoffs, you ain't doing jack, okay? Bill O'Brien made the playoffs, but we've talked about it. You know, a 2013 fluke, 2014, 2015, we just we punched down. We beat Jacksonville. We beat Tennessee. We don't beat those teams anymore. So it's – there's a lot of questions to me has to has whether or not Bill O'Brien is going to come back. Number one, does he want to? He's got one more year in the contract, but like you said, most coaches do not play out that final year without a contract. What happens with Rick Smith? Does he finally get promoted out of a decision-making uh, uh, position? You know, the classic failing up because of course he's, you know, family. So do I think Bill O'Brien is back next year? I think the situation that's playing itself out with the New York Giants right now, I think is going to be a big part of it. You know, we hear rumors about Bill's unhappiness in Houston. We don't know if those are true or not, but that's what we've heard. Uh, do I, 
I would say that Bill O'Brien has a 30% chance of being the coach of the Houston Texans next year. And I think that the players probably see what's happening. They probably see the, the power struggle between Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien. I, I just – and this year, you can't look at Bill O'Brien and even call him a good head coach based on any sort of – well, the players like to play for him. Players like to play for everybody, you know, except for, you know, the occasional guy. So it's – there's not a lot to look at his record – to see he doesn't beat good teams. He's now he's losing to bad teams. He did great with Deshaun Watson, but does that mean the only two quarterbacks he can succeed with are Deshaun Watson and Tom Brady? So anyway, I, I don't know, Matt. Yeah, I I don't think that – so if you're going to fire Bill O'Brien, you don't fire him because of his record this year. You don't fire him because he's 40 currently and this year's a disaster. Because the number of injuries they had you know, defensively, uh, some of the personal decisions Rick Smith made directly about this offensive line and the secondary that's affected this team too. And also whenever Watson was healthy, like he finally changed his offensive scheme and put Watson in a really good spot and did a lot of things to make Watson you know, as good a player as he could possibly be. And so you're not firing for this year. The reason why you should fire him if you're going to is because of 2014, 2015, 2016 – where he had a direct impact on the quarterback decisions. He had direct impact on the offense, and he completely wasted three seasons of a talented football team because of his want and desire to use these quarterbacks and try to win without having an actual quarterback, without wanting to actually invest draft capital in the quarterback position, without trying to actually you know, improve it really at all, aside from you know dumpster diving and you know, using people's happens. The Oswald thing was an actual attempt to, but you know, it, was, it was really bad. It didn't work out. He'd do a whole lot to make the offense easy for Oswald, who had a, a much better year than the year before. And uh, so, but, you know, that's what you want to fight him for. It's not wasting that much time and wasting a good team. Uh, everything happened this year. You know, I think a lot of it's out of his control. I think regardless of how good the coaching job he's going to do, he wasn't going to make the playoffs whenever Watson went down. And uh, and even like if the defense was still like let's say Merciless and Watt didn't get hurt and Tom Savage is the quarterback, still I can make the playoffs with the way the Jaguars are playing and the way some of the other AFC teams are playing. It's very good, but still you're gonna lose a lot of really close games more than likely. So I uh, I mean I think he's gonna be back next year. I think mainly because Watson's gonna be back, and you know I'm fine with that if you can get a whole year of them playing together. You can make your decision from there. But I would not extend him. I wouldn't fire him. Fire him. I'd probably keep him around one more year just because of how Watson performed for those five weeks and to build upon him. And next year is awful again, then I guess you kind of make your decision you know, kind of quickly into the year. Yeah, and I, I, I'm good. I would – see, I, I'm just – what's funny is, is I was so down on Bill O'Brien, definitely at the end of last year, uh, definitely the beginning of this year. But what I've seen from him is I've actually seen his offense change. Like, he's got a faster-hitting offense. I think he finally got it. He he finally realized, I think, that he didn't have Tom Brady here. It couldn't be a 11-dimensional chess. Let's just, let's just make it an easier offense to run and manage. And so I've actually seen him change. And so I'm higher on him now than I was, heck, week five. So, you know, it's I could see that. Give him a one-year you know, make it or don't deal. The risk I see with that is, is you've got Deshaun Watson coming back next year. If you're going to make a change to a head coach or new head coach, I think it should be done this year. Get them out of, get them into a system 
the new system as soon as possible. So that is the risk. We waste another year of Deshaun Watson. Because here's the problem. We wasted Wayne Brown's career. We're on the verge of wasting Watt's career. We're on the verge of wasting Merciless's career because speed rushers don't last long. Uh, we're on the verge of losing uh, Kareem Jackson. Or we, well, we've lost, I think it's safe to say. Kareem Jackson, Jonathan Joseph, Brian Cushing. Like, these are the stars of your defense, and they're all getting past the point of being effective football players. So we've already lost a lot, a big opportunity. So now you say, okay, what's our core? It's a pretty small core. It's, it's, it's McKinney. It's DJ Reader. It's DeAndre Hopkins. It's Clowney. And it's Watson. So that core has gotten smaller. We no longer have that depth and at talent at multiple positions that we did two years ago. So it's – I, I see such just a massive lost opportunity, and we're not going to improve greatly in this offseason. We're just not, not when we're picking our first picks in the third round. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, I, I mean, that team in 14 playoff team, that team in 15 and 16 were, you know, contenders if they have a quarterback. And I don't think there's really a question all about that. They found the quarterback, but everything kind of got hurt, and, you know, just direct, uh, degraded from there, but I mean it's weird. I mean, things happens. I think it's gonna be similar stuff. We're gonna have a lot more of these reports come out. There's gonna be fear, fear pulling on both sides uh, as we go into the draft. We hear more of it, and I think it's gonna take for one or the other time until we finally get the full story of actually what's going on there. But I do think there's merits to these rumors. There's a merit to this constantly because it's been like this for the last, you know, two seasons or so. Uh, but I mean, my my best bet. So Brian coaches here next year, and uh, and they don't resign or keep things how they are, just because of not injuries this year. Yeah, and again, it's it's an ex- it's a decent excuse. But if I look back over Bill O'Brien's career and say, why did we mess with some of the crappy QBs we messed with? Lost a major window of opportunity because even next year, I mean, let's just look in the division. Jacksonville is probably going to be better than we are. It Titans, I don't think so. But we're now probably the second best team in the division. So we are not going to be able to punch down like we have in the past. Sure, we're going to get a, you know, a, probably a last place schedule that's going to help pad the numbers next year. But this is um oh, I guess not because the Colts are the Colts first enough wins. Three wins. Yeah. So we get even a third place schedule. So it's there's so much lost opportunity that's happened. It's hard for me to be overly forgiving of that. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, we think about next year, the Colts have a top five pick and they have like $70 million in cap space next year. So, and they also have Andrew Luck as well too. So I think, you know, looking next year, um, the Texans are, well, I mean, if you include Watson, but they're not, be better, I think, than Tennessee or Indy going into next year. I think Jacksonville's the best team uh, you know, right now, too. So, I don't know. It's weird. It's kind of weird how this whole thing worked out, but my, I'll, I'll never fully enjoy Bill O'Brien as the head coach of the Texans just because of the amount of time and life he wasted uh, from 2014 to 2016 with his quarterback decisions and with his hard-headedness. Yeah. Uh, so, on the, on the inverse, let's be happy again. Uh, let's go to the other side of the Venn diagram. Let's talk about uh, some things that you enjoyed this game. So what did you actually like about Sunday's game between the Texans and the 49ers? Um, 
I actually thought it was a good game. I thought this was a pretty entertaining game. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't the best football in the world, but watching DeAndre Hopkins light it up was a blast. Um, watching Clowney eating souls out on the field was fun. It's, and it was a decent, I mean, 26-16, and it was close until, like, the very end. So, it was it, to me, it was a fun game. Uh, it was an entertaining game. And, you know, after kind of the debacle of 2013, especially late in the season, it was just miserable, and then the games against the Rams. You know, it, this was at least fun, at least entertaining. Matt? I mean, I after the Savage hit, I really couldn't find any, any joy at all in it. I... I don't know, I just couldn't, I just really just was so bored. I had to, so like living here in San Antonio, the Cowboys were on Fox, so I had to stream off my computer, and I had Carolina and Minnesota on. And also, I could, so I kind of lost interest in the game because of the hit, and also I had the, the sound on my computer, so that I knew whenever I looked down, stop watching the Carolina game. And then Mark Schlereth is just, he is the worst. He is not funny. He's not charming. He's annoying. He loves to hear himself talk. He babbles. He's a buffoon. Uh, he's completely just unlistenable. And, like, I just – I couldn't take him at all anymore. And so I ended up using the computer and turning on and listening to, you know, Romo and the and the Panther. And then once that happened, I kind of lost track of this game as it was occurring because I – you did have Marshall let me know when a play was about to start. But, yeah, if I – I couldn't just – I could not take listening to Mark Slayer say – you know, elite throw of the football, you know, I, I, if I heard it one more time, I was going to, I don't know. I, I wasn't going to do anything. I was going to be very, I just couldn't take it anymore. I think my favorite thing that was said during the game was that something to the effect of Bill O'Brien being such an offensive genius. Schler oh, he said, said that. And times. I just, multiple times. It's like, what are, you, we gotta, what are you paying attention to? He has been trash except for when Deshaun Watson was throwing the ball all over the field. Yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me how difficult it is for certain people to lose to lose their credibility. It's like, I call it the David Eckstein effect, right? David, he was always a great baseball player, but you looked at the numbers and he was straight trash. But he could never get past. He's a great baseball player. No, he's not. He, he's not good. He's he's not even a replacement. So I don't know. <laughs> Hey, but, you know, David Eckstein, if he draws a walk, he's running to first base. He's not walking to first base. And that means a whole lot. It doesn't, uh, that doesn't make him a good baseball player. <laughs> Man, I hate the, the Los Angeles Angels so much. Uh, what an awful franchise. They're so they're the Indianapolis Colts of baseball, just bland and boring, and there's nothing uh, nothing enjoyable at all about them either. I, God, I hate that team. But, uh, yeah, what else about I like I like the Forrest Buckner's wingspan because it's yeah. a condor. Like I mean, <laughs> like it's like he has wings growing out of his back whenever he spreads his wings across. And I have seen a condor one time. It was in the Grand Canyon, and when I mean, he out the sun, I was like, "What was that?" I looked at the condor flying over, and that was spectacular. And that's what I think of whenever I watch the Forrest Buckner, you know, play football around the past whatever. And you know, he was spectacular in this game. Yeah, what a fun dude to watch. And, and Reuben Foster as well. Just two really, really fun guys to watch play foosball. Yeah. yeah oh, he, and Eli Harold, he was also fun. He was he was doing stuff out there. Sorry? Um, I liked Earl Mitchell's two-yard uh, two loss on that third, fourth and one play call or third and <laughs> one play call. 
you know, Nick Martin, he just completely does the jab inside, goes around on the outside. And uh, on a slow developing, you know, A. Brian completely stuffs it out. I like that play. That was a good play. That's, that's Bill O'Brien's offensive genius in a nutshell, that third and short – or fourth and short – that got blown up for the loss. That is Bill O'Brien's offensive genius. A slow developing semi draw play. That's fantastic use of your of your weapons, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was spectacular. It's kind of you know using Tyler Irvin on fourth and one to try to beat the Raiders in 2016, but in a in a less egregious way. I, I really like watching DeAndre Hopkins catch football passes. He had what like seven spectacular catches in this game. And I also found it really funny whenever he fumbled that ball uh, by carrying it out there with one hand. And I believe it was Mark Slayer, you know, giving it to him saying, hey, you know, you have to carry that ball with two hands, this, that, and the other thing. And so that was cool to see, to see Hopkins actually probably fumble after carrying the ball around with one hand like that the entire year. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of guys hold the ball with one hand. It, 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 it was helmet to the ball. You know, almost everybody fumbles that. Yeah, but I guess he just ha- he's. It's like he's uh, he's like a flower girl before a wedding. You know, just has that. Just tossing flowers out with the ball waved around each and every time, and yeah, you know, he never fumbles at all. He every time he gets hit, or he rarely gets hit because he goes out of bounds and stuff. And it's like he's controlling the game. Is on a, a different uh, astral plane, but you know, still like after seeing that ball out. You know, that far in front of him all the time. I've been waiting for it to get knocked out of his hands, and you know it did. It did this time by a helmet, but uh, I've I've been waiting for that all year. Yeah, you know who else used to have that reputation carrying the ball like it was a loaf of bread was uh, Earl Campbell. Oh, really? Yep. Deion Sanders too. Yep. He did that well. Yeah, but time. Deion Sanders was a defensive back. Well, except when he was returning, but yeah, but he was a defensive back, so he you know he wasn't doing it all the time. Earl did it all the time. It was crazy. Yeah, I didn't know that about Earl. Uh, what about, is there anything else you like from this game? Nah. Yeah, I don't have any uh, <laughs> it, was, it was my least favorite Texas game I've ever seen. Do you think Jeff Allen can play left tackle in the NFL? You know, I'm starting to really wonder. He is not bad out there. Uh, I would love to hear – I'm going to shut up. I just want to hear you talk about him a little bit. Uh, I mean, he's been much better than I thought he was going to be at left tackle. I thought he was going to be completely worthless and incompetent. And he moves a lot better than I thought he was going to. And, like, last weekend against Tennessee, he was up against two good edge rushers and Morgan and Rackpo, and, you know, he held his own the entire game. So, I after watching him play guard for the last two years and him being one of the worst guards I've ever seen where he's just lazy, not bringing things into the punch, able to get the hip and be able to work with either of his teammates. Uh, his inability to get to the second level, help out on the first level. Make, he could, he could, there's, no, there's not a block he could make at guard the last two years. And so for the way he played at left tackle, he don't want to play guard ever again. So uh, I'm for next year if the tackle market is completely you know extraneous. If Julian Davenport or you know, I'd be fine with like a Jeff Allen versus Julian Davenport Tackle him next year, and I'd also be fine with you know Jeff Allen getting cut and fine. But uh, you know he's interesting there. He's been a lot better at left tackle than guard, and uh, I guess how he performs the next these next three weeks is something to look out for as well too. 
Yeah, it, it's definitely worth trying them back out there every game for the rest of the season. Let them try out for that. You know, we're we're paying him like an excellent, you know, offensive guard, which he clearly isn't. But if he can come in and be the 20th best left tackle right now, which is better than what we've got on the roster, then that's that's at least helpful because we're not going to go get a left tackle next year. I don't think there's anybody in free agency that's worth it. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, I'm not looking right now. Uh, and we're not going to be able to draft a franchise left tackle with the third in the third round. So heck yeah, I mean, let's this is your tryout, man. Let's see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I think you pay him like eight million dollars for left tackle, which isn't a bad you know price at all for somebody who could. If he can be mediocre, and the biggest thing is just pass protection because the Houston can do enough with Watson runner uh, to kind of mitigate his knee air. So and even though his knees kind of mitigated too as a as a tackle pass player with uh, you know with with what Watson can do too. So yeah, I, I'm for I'm to see how he does the rest of the year and you know anything's gonna be better than we did at right guard. Uh, so what do you think about Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo this game? Is he an elite thrower of the Rotan sphere? Uh, I, I wouldn't definitely want to say elite. He's no Joe Flacco, right? I, I was pretty impressed, I got to say. This was Jimmy G's what, second NFL start, or I guess second start for the 49ers. Um, he is, shows a lot of guts. He's one who pushed the ball down the field. He, you know, Marquis Goodwin has become his primary weapon, and, and Marquis Goodwin is nothing. Marquis, God, I can't believe I mispronounced his name. Marquis Goodwin is a field stretcher kind of guy, and so he hooked up with him, what, five or six times on Sunday. So that tells me something, too. So uh, I was impressed. I think he is definitely a mid-level type of quarterback today, right now. Um, he's definitely a, an upgrade over C.J. Beathard. I, you know, it makes me wonder if we what, what where this team would be, the Texans would be, if we'd taken Garoppolo instead of XSF in uh, 2014, because he's not a bad quarterback. Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure the thing that impressed me about him that game was how he stayed in the pocket and dealt with the pass rush because that's been his problem. You go back to college, it's kind of his problem. Remember, he, he had a uh, cup of coffee last year where they were really they were really using for his get the ball quickly, get out quickly. We don't have we don't want you to deal with any pass rush whatsoever. You know, this game where the rush came, he stood in there, he made guys miss some, uh, he rolled out. Well. And I think just from, like, an arm strength and, you know, accuracy standpoint, like, he's really good. Like, he really jumped – the ball really jumps off the screen whenever he's back there. So, I think the Niners made a, a great decision to trade a second-round pick for him. Either he's 2-0 as a starter right now. Maybe he goes 4-1 as a starter. And you say, hey, we got our quarterback, and it makes the ability to go and get free agents next year a little bit easier, too. And San Francisco, I think, has, like, $110 million in cap space this offseason. Uh, something just completely absurd. So, you know, I'm I'm happy for the Niners. They have really cool jerseys. Uh, they should never fired Harbaugh. So it's kind of, you know, the whole thing you are entirely here for. But it looks like it's gonna work out well. And uh, I really just like the physical things really jump off the off the screen for me whenever I watch Garoppolo play. Yeah, it's it, he's not awing, but he's at least solid. And in today's NFL, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, if they can get an offensive line around him and, like, you know, two receivers, uh, they're going to be a lot of fun next year, too, especially that really young front seven they have. Now, what – so I know that you talked about – wrote about incompletions, about the number of holes on this team. Uh, going into next offseason, what do you think is the is the weakest position group and what's the biggest hole in this roster after this year's over? 
I, I guess it ultimately depends. I mean, the offensive line is is a nightmare. I, I don't. We're going to have to if we drafted. I think we have what two thirds. We have the compensatory pick for AJ Bouye. Uh, we have to we have to draft linemen, uh, guards, and and tackles. Well, at least right tackle, and some depth. You know, we're throwing guys out there who shouldn't even be in a uniform. But the cornerback position is of utmost concern after that for me. It really depends on how you feel about Kevin Johnson. But to me, at this point, we're starting to get to what Kevin Johnson is going to be. And at this point, I do not see him being an above-average cornerback. And, and I'm having a hard time seeing him as the average. I think the injuries that he's had, he's had a lot of soft tissue injuries, a lot of leg injuries. When he was a rookie, he was a much better football player than he is today. And I, and I think it's the injuries have sapped him of his of his true twic, uh, quick twitch strengths. I just don't think he's got it anymore. So if your other two cornerbacks are the 84-year-old Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson, who, is not, who shouldn't be playing quarterback at all anymore, then we're talking like the next man up is what, Marcus Williams? So that's a big, to me, the, uh, the secondary is a big deal. I'm not even addressed the fact that, you know, our strong safety sucks and, and Andre Howell, all the great center fielder, is, is a big negative in the run game. Hi, my answer is cornerback as well. Uh, I think even from like a position group and the biggest hole in this team is cornerback. And, you know, even though like you're, you're it's mitigated some why I'm mercilessly this year, but like their challenges isn't there. Joseph had a really bad year. Kareem Jackson's had a bad year. Uh, Kevin Johnson's been, you know, awful. You know, I think exactly what you're saying is correct is that he's just not breaking on the ball like he did last year and the year before where if there's a three-yard cushion between him and the, receiver he's running a curl route he's able to drive on that ball and knock that pass down and he's going to do this year in addition to that he's driving on the ball and missing a tackle and then the guy's picking up a first down pretty easily after that so he's just been just a, a complete mess this year I hope if an entire summer of you know resting and you know relaxation hanging at the beach will you know, kind of get him back there but uh, you never know with the amount of injuries he's had what's going to happen but I would say for sure cornerback and of course, with never your strong safeties, Marcus Gilchrist, you know that kind of added to that factor as well too. So I don't, I don't, I mean the pass would be one of the greatest passers all on time on paper. But again, you're having to deal with injuries from walk and then merciless, and then Hope Clown is injured too, and uh, you never know about that thing. But I think for sure the secondary is one of the worst in the NFL, and that's been the biggest problem for this defense is to be downfield and it's a direct impact on them. So yeah, I I think it's. It's looking there as the biggest problem they have moving forward in the next year. Yeah, and the way to look at it is like this too now. So that's all three cornerback positions. And, and yes, there's three cornerbacks to a team, and there's no fullback. Fullbacks are not people. Um, and then there's uh, four of the offensive four out of the five offensive line positions. That's seven like positions that need to be immediately addressed, just like right there. This is why it is, I feel like we're, we're now getting on the other side of this team's window. I, I felt like this, and I said it before the season started, 2017 was our window. That's why we needed to put Deshaun Watson out there starting game one, is you're not going to want Tom Savage. It was obvious. And then, of course, you know, everybody started getting hurt after that. I, I feel like this is – I feel like we've lost the window that we had from 2014 to 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you really made a great point in completion to what you're saying is that there's a lot of holes in this roster next year. And the thing about this team now that's kind of changed is that there's a lot of, like, really top-heavy talent so they can do specific things really well. 
and they're going to have to be able to stay healthy and kind of mitigate it. But if they have six, they're going to have like seven dollars in cap space next year to kind of fill things out since they won't be able to in the draft. So, uh, yeah, March is going to be a lost time, like spring break. Well, everybody's out. South Padre, all us adults, you know, working, you're going to be really enjoying the fireworks going on during free agency this year. Now, this this is a cry for help I have right now. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of this. My heart's been broken too many times. I was so excited for the AFC South Championship last year. And this year, the Titans are now one game behind the Jaguars. They have a tiebreaker over them. So we go to week 17 where, you know, the Titans are, oh, you know, 10 and 5 and Jacksonville is 11 and 10. Then, or 11 and 6. I I'm very stupid. 11 and 4. Then... And the times when they win the AFC South, and we actually have an AFC South title game. The problem is that the Titans lost to the Cardinals this week because they can only muster up one touchdown that game. And they play San Francisco this weekend, but they have the Rams the weekend after. The Jaguars are playing the, tide, playing the Texans this Sunday, the 49ers next Sunday, and then they get Tennessee Week 17. So, talking off the ledge here, are we going to get AFC South Championship this year? No. <laughs> No, I think the AFC. I think the. I think right now. I mean, even with the Patriots losing, I think the AFC has to go through uh, New England, and I think it's going to be the Jaguars and the Patriots that are playing for that. I think the 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 Jaguars can stop anybody right now with that defense. They can. It does not matter. They can stop anybody. That defense is that good. So uh, that's what I think is going to wind up. So no, man, you're you're not going to get your AFCS championship game. In Memphis, in uh, Nashville. No, I just want an AFC South Week Seventeen championship game. I don't care about the AFC oh, championship. Oh, I just AFC care about Week Seventeen. I, I missed. Yeah. I missed the South. Still, still no, no. Jack, yeah, Jacksonville will have wrapped it up. I'm, I, I'm so upset about that Cardinals game. Like, it, it's just amazing just how dumb the Titans' offense is and how they're just doing the same thing over and over again and it didn't work and how they don't game plan of their opponents at all. And like Delaney Walker is the only player on the entire team like having fun. I mean on offensive wise. Like Walker's the only guy on that team having fun at all and enjoying playing. And Mariota's you're missing high and their offense is run the ball up the middle twice, third down, spread it out and throw an incompletion interception. And you know, I hate it. It was pretty set up and they blew it and they ruined it. So I don't know. My my entire year so uh, so this weekend the Texans are playing the AFC South leading Jacksonville who could possibly get a two seed in the playoffs. Uh, so the Texans should have franchise tagged A.J. Boye. This decision was worse. This is not to franchise tag him. Every over Glover or Jeff Allen over Brandon Brooks. You know, I've been thinking since I saw the script, I've been thinking about this one. And um, I don't even – this one's so difficult because each one is so special and it's stupid and each one was easily foreseeable that it's just, it's mind numbing. I think ultimately, I think the worst one will be the, um, wow, no. I, I don't even know how you grade these, right? Bouye is going to go out and put up four or five good years to Jaguars. Glover Quince has been a, a, at least a pro bowler. It's not an all, no, not an uh, all pro, but a pro bowler for the, for the uh, Lions and, Brandon Brooks is just crushing people in Philadelphia. So, and he was one of the best offensive linemen in the game. Man, I don't know. 
I, I think you can point to any one of those and make a valid argument. Yeah. Well, I guess which one makes you the saddest, then? The one that makes me the saddest is probably the Glover Quinn one, because it was, to me, that was just jumped out stupid. I mean, Ed Reed was clearly done, and Glover Quinn switches to safety, turns it on, everything starts coming together. He's, he's, 20, he's 26, 27 years old when that happens. You know he's got a good solid four or five years left, easy at safety. And he's already showing that he's going to be in a well above average safety. That was, it was so obviously stupid. Like, you can say, oh, well, Jeff Allen, he's a million bucks cheaper. Yeah, let's, we'll let Brandon Buck. You can kind of make that argument. We thought it, you and I thought it was stupid at the time. Uh, A.J. Boye, to me, was super obvious. But, you know, we supposedly had, you know, Kevin Johnson coming back and healthy and expect another good year, year out of Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson. You can kind of see that one. There's no logic at all to Glover. The logic to the Glover Quinn was that Ed Reed has that magical lizard hat that makes Tom Brady and Peyton Manning just completely ineffective quarterbacks. And so Ed Reed was a missing piece to the championship puzzle. And then the Texans went 2-14 and 14 and lost 14 games in a row. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and Ed Reed could not have been more done. That's the worst part. Ed Reed was done. You watched Ed yeah. Reed in 2012. He was done. And you let the young guy go for the done guy. That was so stupid. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry. Paul. And I mean, my my thing also about the I – I mean, they all make me really sad. The I think the one that hurt the team the most was – the Brandon Brooks one, the Brandon Brooks trade, mainly because the Texans are so focused on running the ball up the middle. And they're such a right-oriented team in 2014 and 2015. And then you go in 2016 with, you know, Namor Jackson, and uh, you're kind of depending on – you're still depending on the run game. And he's terrible, and now you're going to run the ball, and you can't run the ball because you have any interior blocking. And that's a direct risk of losing Brandon Brooks. And also, you know, Derek Newton tore both his knees. They worked out really well together. And he lost that aspect, too, whenever uh, you had Jeff Allen in there. And it was also such a small difference in money, too. And even if Brooks was, you know, kind of tired of Houston wanting to go somewhere else, uh, even giving him two more even giving him two more million dollars or whatever, the bidding war with Philadelphia is worth it because he's been an all-pro guard this year. Uh, one, you know, my reasoning for that was that the Texans have money now that they buy a trade. I'd name redacted, so they should use it to make the team better. The franchise tag does that. So what did we learn about the Broncos in 2015, that you can win your ball with an all-time great defense? We learned that about the – no matter how bad your quarterback is, if an all-time great defense, you can win a Super Bowl. And so with the secondary of Boye, Jackson, Johnson, and Joseph, with Andre Howe, whoever else is going to play with Stronsky, a friend of the Clowney, Watt, Merciless, McKinney, Reader, that's a that's – the the blueprint, that's the skeleton of an all-time great defense. And regardless of the injuries that happened since then uh, to start this year off, uh, that that defense would have just been really spectacular, and that didn't happen, of course. And Like you, like it is, you, know, you can never have enough good defensive backs. And then if Boye was great again this year, which probably would have been, then you can sign to a big-time deal whenever you have all this free agency money, whatever, and now you're able to kind of move your secondary into the future as well, too. So, awful decisions. I think the Boya one makes me the saddest. The Brooks one was dumbest. And uh, the Ed Reed one, or the, the Brooks one hurt the team the most. And then the Ed Reed one was the dumbest of the three. 
yes, I think it's a three-way tie. Three-way tie of stupid. I think would be a great way to yeah. put it. They all they all have their different variances of how uh, how dumb they are. Uh, were you able to see Al Jacksonville game at all? Uh, yes, I did watch some of it. I had I had a red zone channel and was working for the rest of it. That was a, a very fun game to watch. I got to say it's um two really enjoyable teams to watch play, and you got to love that how uh, how Jacksonville defense plays. There was one play, I just can't get out of my head, there was one play that really stuck out that I thought was great, but it was uh, uh, Calais Campbell, who's normally does such a great job, but he, he did not set the edge on a run by Russell Wilson. It was a keeper, and, uh, you know, Wilson went right past him as, as Clay Campbell collapsed inside. It was like, Russell Wilson just smoked Clay Campbell, who should know better, and got a 10-yard game, and watching Campbell try to chase after Wilson was just absolutely entertaining. So that one was fun. But, yeah, it was a... Uh, it, it was an enjoyable game to watch, and I'll be damned, you know, Jacksonville won. Yeah, and it was also a cool play because they faked the bootleg going you know, to the right. Or they faked the run going to the right, and then they run the bootleg off of it, and Wilson just took off, you know, as a design run play, and they collapsed everything down that that direction. So it was a cool play, play design, too. Um, you know, the other few plays I really loved about the game was Boye had an awesome interception, uh, and that one where he kind of let Jimmy Graham run past him and you know, baited Wilson make this throw. And when the ball's in the air, he just hit the Jets and picked off Graham pretty easily. And then Graham was all sad and mad and shoved him out of bounds, and they added 15 yards to the penalty. Uh, Jalen Ramsey had this interception on a Doug Baldwin pass attempt to you know, the deep middle part of the field where Ramsey just completely out-muscles him and the ball's in the air. It wasn't pass interference at all, but just like he beats him to Baldwin tries to go through him, falls in the ground, and Ramsey just has an easy interception because he's just he has such insane upper body strength. And then also like all the jab, all the Seahawks were all just like second like safety lapses where Tashawn Gibson was burned twice deep where he was covering nobody and then ended up chasing. Uh, Barry Church was burned another time. So Wilson had like three touchdown passes that were 40 yards or greater just because of you know issues with the safe play. And also Bortles was pretty good in this game. Like he made a lot of really great touch throws uh, to the sidelines. And also uh, the Jaguars passing offense has changed to uh, spread out, spread out the defense and then just throw cro- crossing routes, you know, and he's also does such a great job of aiding sacks. Uh, his pocket pressure, pocket maneuvering has been a lot better too. And he's also the, mo- the most important thing you can do as a quarterback and that's throw the ball to your own teammates too. Yeah, it's, it, Blake really regressed in 2016, right? Because you know, I talked about a lot in 2015 that, you know, if, if Blake Bortles breaks out, the Jaguars are going to be really difficult team to beat. And, of course, he regressed just really horribly. His QB rating went from 88 to 79, and it's backed up to 86 this year. That's Look, if he's just a game manager for them, he's only thrown eight picks in 13 games this year. If he's just a game manager, that is a team that threatens to go all the way to the uh, Super Bowl because – he he's not giving it away. Yeah. Well, and also like he was just a complete garbage time down down sideline thrower to Robinson and Hearns and made great catches. And then in sixteen, you know, the whole thing kind of went away. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's he's fun. Uh, do you think? So you mentioned the Jaguars earlier about the playoffs. Do you think they could get a New England or Pittsburgh a tough game? I think that this is a better team than Pittsburgh, just kind of speaking from pure gut. I think just because of the defense alone, you know, 
the Steelers offensive line will struggle against good pass rushers and these are good this is a good group to get to to uh Reckless Burger. And when you when you challenge it, okay, so the other way to look at it is can anybody shut Antonio Brown down one on one? And I think the answer is maybe Jalen Ramsey. And he might be the only answer. Between those two factors alone, I do think Jacksonville's better team than Pittsburgh. So I still think it's going to be Jaguars at the Patriots, and I would not put it past the Jaguars to win that to get into the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, I think the thing about the Jaguars now is they can stop the run a little bit since that Marcel Darius trade happened. And they can beat the city. I think that they have the pass defense to play with either Pittsburgh or New England. They also have the pass rush as well with the pass because how, how do you pass? You get a great pass rush. And then you have to have Brady make, you know, two or three mistakes or two mistakes. And you have to score and take advantage of it after that. And also if they get a lead, they have the running game that they can make the games a lot shorter as they need to be too. So I think either one of those teams, you know, they have a shot at, uh, I think that they're, they're the only team that could beat the Patriots in the playoffs. Back to just own the Steelers, you know, for the last, you know, 10 years or so, 12 years. And so until the Steelers actually beat the Patriots in the playoffs, I'm not expecting it. And it's kind of the same way you get Steelers and the Chiefs as well too. So yeah, like I like I like the chances that Jaguars have this year to to make some noise. Uh, in your dreams, if you get a perfect AFC wild card round, uh, what would what would your matchups be? Oh wow, um, I don't think there is one. Be- I don't know because you're gonna probably have you're gonna probably have New England. They would be off. So you, would, you would say. Well, yeah, you'd say probably New England would play in the divisional round. They're going to be off. And then either Jacksonville yeah. or, or Pittsburgh's going to be off for that weekend, too. Yeah, and right now it's Pittsburgh and New England have, have those two off games. Um, no, there's no dream matchup here. This is all crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think this gets fun. and I don't think this gets fun until – I mean, I'm just looking at the differentials alone. Who has the best – Point differential in the AFC. Jacksonville. Ooh, I, I, I looked this up last week. Yeah. Jacksonville, 127. New England, 118. After that, it's the Chargers at 73. Baltimore, 72. That was just kind of shocking. So the Chargers do that. And it goes, goes, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 an interesting, you know, just looking at those points differentials, which is kind of a decent indicator of of how a team is doing. But, I, you know, I just don't see – I don't want to see Baltimore ever play again with, with Joe Flacco. I just can't stand him. So, I don't – there's no dream matchup here. All right. So, I, what I want – I want Baltimore-Jacksonville week one. I want, like, two great pass defenses going up against two really bad quarterbacks because I think it's just going to be a hilarious game with, like, just only running the ball or just, like, who doesn't throw interceptions going to win that game. And then – in the other division, in the other game, I want to see San Diego play uh, the ten- my Tennessee Titans. And I don't even know if I even won the Titans as much as I want the Bills because the Bills just haven't made the playoffs at all. But I think for benching Ty got like they did. They, uh, karma's against them, and they won't get the opportunity to. But I would love to see you know, Chargers and you know, tied enough in a, in a various way, mainly because I, would, I want to see Phillip Rivers in the second round of the playoffs, and then the Titans are given the easiest opportunity to get there. So, yeah, I want Baltimore, Jacksonville, and I want San Diego, Tennessee in the wild card round of the AMC. Sounds good. Yeah. So going back to this actual game, is there anything that you're going to be specifically watching for 
whenever Houston plays Jacksonville. No, I'm just going to lust after guys like A.J. Bouye and Kelly Campbell and and the rest. I'm just going to lust after these guys because they're going to, against our defensive line, they're just going to have a, a good old time. Uh, you know, I just hope T.J. Yates survives kind of thing. I hope we've got another quarterback on the roster. I it just It's going to be a good team to watch uh, defensively. I enjoy defensive football. That's about it. It doesn't get much deeper than that. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I'm not going to watch this game live and me driving back from Memphis uh, with a bunch of Waffle House in my belly and, you know, just with one eye. We'll listen to the radio maybe, maybe, but I won't be able to watch it live. Whenever I watch the condensed version, I'm going to let it pass over me like a like a warm bath because it's really a time we talked about before in watching Clowney, McKinney, Hopkins, et cetera. Like, there's really not a lot here. It's going to be one good team against one bad team. I think it's going to be closer in a way just because the Texans can stop the run. And if they don't turn the ball over and they stop the run like they usually do, it's going to be hard to get Jackson for some points. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be closer in the first half and Jackson will kind of break away in the second half. Uh, what's your prediction for this game? I don't think this one's going to be close. I think this is going to be something along the lines of 38 to, to 9 kind of thing. I just – we're not going to have success against Jacksonville in any way, shape, or form. The Jalen Ramsey throw gives DeAndre Hopkins fits. Um, he's the only guy who can be as physical as Hopkins can, and he's got a year more under his belt to be smarter than he was when he got, you know, pretty torched last year. I just really – I don't see us putting up any points, and I don't see us stopping the Jaguars' offense. And I, I see at least one defensive touchdown by Jacksonville. I think it's going to be a pretty ugly game. Yeah, yeah. and actually that's what I'm going to watch for whenever I watch this game is Hopkins versus Ramsey because the the memes are hilarious, the online bickering. Uh, all the Jaguars saying, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, say hello to your father. Jalen uh, Ramsey is hilarious. And, uh, and like, the Jacksonville Jaguars players taking off with it and kind of the Instagram feuds that have kind of come from as well, too, are really hysterical. So that's what I'm watching. That's really what I'm watching for is Hopkins versus Ramsey whenever I watch the game. But I do think it's going to be fairly cool in the first half. Like I said, Houston can stop the run. The Jaguars really depend on them offensively. And so I have Jacksonville, you know, kind of pulling away a little bit later on. I'm winning 27 to 10. And also last year, this play each other about the the state Islands, because I was driving back from Memphis as well, too. And that was the game when your name redacted got benched and Savage came in and led the way for a Texans win. And I don't think it's going to happen this week, but, you know, maybe something crazy and fun happens this weekend somehow. Yeah, I think crazy and fun would be, you know, like a flea flicker. I think that'd be crazy and fun. I'd take that. <laughs> or uh, <laughs> we may see a Jalen Ramsey, uh, DeAndre Hopkins fist fight in this game. Yeah. Yeah, that, that could be, be possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you have anything else you want to add at all tonight, or is that all you got? Oh, that's all I got. I'm tired. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on tonight, BFD. Thank you, everybody, for listening live. Thank you for the question. Uh, Pearl, you're you're such a doll. Uh, we'll be back on live again next week at 7 p.m. Central, where we will review the Texans-Jaguars game. And in addition to that, we'll preview their upcoming uh, Sunday game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and another game doesn't matter for Houston and uh, they, you know, it doesn't matter for Pittsburgh, but they're going to you know, completely trounce them, so it won't matter anyways. But thank you for listening live. Everybody listen live. Tell your friends and family about the show. Uh, whenever you're next week, never
your Christmas plans, whenever you're shopping this weekend. This would be a very uh, nice thing to listen to. I assume that you are listening to because you're at the very end. Uh, but anyways, my name is Matt West. Thank you for listening to our radio. And thank you for being on side BFT. Well. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even eSports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out. And if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.